Just like with a wave, you can see it start to build, you know, back deep in the ocean. And eventually it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it gets to its height. And then it crashes down. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Before we get started, just a few notes on today's content. The views expressed here only reflect our opinions and don't represent the CWC or the University of Florida or the mental health professions as a whole. Additionally, some content may be sensitive for students who have experienced trauma. Please reach out if you need additional support. In this episode, Dr. Sarah Nash and Olivia Pekethley, licensed mental health counselor and member of the CWC's consultation and referral team, discuss panic attacks. Hi, and welcome. I am talking today with Olivia Pekethley, who is a licensed mental health counselor. She has been doing this work for 20 years, and we are here today to talk about panic attacks, what they are. Olivia is going to share about her own personal experience with panic attacks, what's been helpful for her, as well as some other stuff that I'm sure we'll get into related to this very important topic. So hi, Olivia. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So yes, maybe we could start basic, which is what's your, you know, in your own words, how would you describe a panic attack? Lots of different things can come with a panic attack and it looks different with everyone. Rapid heartbeat, difficulty breathing, sweating sometimes, dizziness. I've often felt like a fullness in my head where it's just like, I don't know, that's the, that's the best way that I can describe it sometimes feeling like I'm going to die because it's just, it just takes over and you just don't know what's going on. And it usually, you know, starts to build little by little until it hits this point where you feel like you're going to die. And then it starts to kind of level off. Usually a lot of crying um, goes into that. So yeah, it's, it's probably a good, maybe five to 10 minutes of just feeling like you're out of control. I have not struggled with panic attacks personally, but when people describe it to me, it sounds so like terrifying to go through something like that. It is, especially if you don't understand it. If it's never happened to you, you know, you can feel like either I'm, I'm dying right now. There's something going on with my body and, and I'm going to be dead soon. Or it feels like you're going crazy. You know, like what is wrong with me? And you start having all of these irrational thoughts about what's going on with your body, what's going on with your brain. And it can be very terrifying. I know that I've worked with some students who struggle with panic attacks who have said that they uh, they went to the hospital, they went to the ER when they first started to have panic attacks because they literally did think they were dying. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard that too. So you're saying five to 10 minutes of just terrible, out of control, discomfort, fear, all kinds of things, right? I'm hearing you describe a lot of physical yes. mm-hmm. symptoms, mm-hmm. like physiological stuff, stuff that's happening in your body. Mm-hmm. 
Why, why is it so physical? When we start having these thoughts, like feeling like things are out of our control, it kind of sends our body into a flight or fight response or freeze. There's the whole flight, you know, I got to get out of here, fight, I'm going to fight this tooth and nail to survive or freeze. And we just don't know what we're going to do. And we just are stuck in this moment that we don't know how to get out of. In my experience, a lot of times, any type of mental health stuff, if it's not taken care of, will start to come out in physical ways. So if I'm not taking care of my anxiety, it is going to come out in the um, form of a panic attack, you know, with all the physiological symptoms that go with it. One of the things that I have wondered about, even in the language that we use to describe panic attacks, is that the language itself suggests that we're being attacked by something, right? Like something out, even something outside of us is attacking us and that it can really, um, the way you're describing it, it sounds like it can really feel that way. Like it's just this random energy that descends on your body and just attacks you. Right. Right. And after a while, you kind of get the idea, you get the sense where you know that it's coming. And so you can kind of start to prepare yourself, prepare your body for what's coming. Personally, if, if I can feel my panic attack coming, I'm like, okay, I know it's coming. I'm going to be okay, though. I've had these panic attacks before. I'm just going to ride the wave. You know, because if it's already started, there's really not much that I'll be able to do to let go of it. And maybe even fighting it might make the panic attack worse. So what helps me is just kind of riding the wave, recognizing, okay, this is where I am. I know that it's going to kind of come to a point um, and then it's going to relax. I'm safe. I've, I've dealt with this before. And after I have my panic attack, maybe I'll treat myself to something nice. You know, maybe I will um, have some hot tea or maybe I'll take a nap or maybe I'll have some ice cream or something like that just to kind of give myself something to look forward to. Because the panic attack can be so terrifying and disturbing, I want to kind of take care of myself afterwards. And also it sounds exhausting to go through something like that. It is. It is. And usually I do need like a little bit of a nap afterwards, especially early on when I was still fighting those panic attacks before I really understood them. I often would just go to sleep afterwards because I, I just didn't, I just, I didn't know how else to handle it. Yeah. Let's back up. Cause it sounds like now you've figured out kind of a, a way to make this more workable for yourself and to be much more gentle with yourself about it all. Where, where, when did you start panicking? When did you start having panic attacks? So my first panic attack came probably when I was about 22. Um, I had just graduated from college with my undergrad degree, um, obviously in the same boat as a, as a lot of newly graduated uh, folks, you know, looking for a job, you know, getting my own apartment, things like that. I was in the middle of an unhealthy relationship at the time. It was my very first relationship. So it was a huge deal for me. First serious relationship, I should say. But it, it came with a lot of roller coasters, to be honest. Also at the time, I was having some health issues 
I had to have um, emergency gallbladder surgery, which at 22, you wouldn't think is actually an option, but apparently it, it was in my case. And then also I was promised a job and then uh, I didn't get it. So those three things, the the relationship, the health, the job loss, and then of course, adjusting to life after college, you know, throw that in there. And it just felt like everything at one point was going out of my control. And I started having these panic attacks and it was, it, it was terrifying. I'm just thinking when I work with people about a loss of control, that seems like it's always accompanied with some fear, right? Like it's, it's scary to lose control. We need to have some control for our lives to, to work okay. Whenever we're talking about a loss of control, I'm curious about is someone experiencing a threat to their survival or at least a perceived threat to their survival? And as you talk, I was hearing lots of places where you might be feeling like your survival was threatened. Right, exactly. And that's exactly what I've come to learn about my panic attacks. They come from that perceived threat to my safety, to my stability. When you have, you know, a first serious relationship, it's everything. You know, you put so much work into it. You invest so much in it. And so there's that fear like, I'm going to lose this. You know, if I'm not perfect, I'm going to lose this relationship. If I can't get this job, I can't pay my bills, you know, and then I will have to lose my independence and move back home with my parents, you know, um, there's, there's all of that. And, you know, if I undergo emergency surgery, oh my goodness, you know, you have to sign on this paper that you're not going to sue the hospital if something goes wrong. So it's really terrifying. Um, so yeah, all, all of those things, um, definite, definite, um, threats to, to my safety and security. I appreciate you connecting those things. And I was thinking I've even worked with students who even like a test can throw them into a panic attack. And I think sometimes students will say they'll feel silly. Like, why am I panicking over something that clearly isn't truly life or death? But when we really look at that, all kinds of things connected to, well, if I fail this test, then I'm going to fail this class. And if I fail this class, I might fail my major. And if I fail my major, what if I can't get a job? And if I can't get a job, how am I going to survive? And so if we trace it back, it does go back to survival level stuff. I'm using the word survival, but safety, security, stability are all deeply connected to that. And I don't know if this is true for you, but depending on our childhoods, especially we have you know, some of us have more fears around money. Some of us have more fears around relationships. Like it can come out in different ways or get triggered in different ways for each of us. Right, right. Absolutely. In my childhood, even at a young age, you know, I dealt with um, a variety of tragedies, you know, in my family, either with death or illness, things like that, which kind of also helped me to be really good in a crisis. And so it's kind of lended that gift to me in my, in my, in my career. But yeah, when it comes to your personal life, it's a little bit different. You know, it's, it's kind of a new thing and you're looking at it with new eyes. So you started having these panic attacks. You're relatively young, right? You're 22 years old, looking at life as an, you know, as a young adult, just out of college, 
um, all this stuff happening. What did you do? Like, how did you, how did you deal with that? Did you get help? Like, you know, how'd you navigate that? Well, I had some really amazing friends. First of all, I remember one night having a really bad panic attack and um, I called my friend. uh, She's my best friend now. And I said, I just need you to come over and sit with me because I really just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going on with me. And she and her sister, they came right over and they just sat with me and they talked to me and they made me laugh and they complimented my hair, (laughs) which is, you know, a sweet memory, you know, for a really scary time for me. And then um, soon after, I talked to the same friend because I knew that she was going to see a counselor. And so I said, can you give me the name of your counselor? You know, I kind of think maybe I need to go. And so I started going to counseling at that time. I was probably closer to, I think I was 23 at that time. Um, so I suffered with this for about a, a good year before I went and sought sought help. Um, and with this counselor, she was amazing. She really helped me um, recognize what I was going through that, you know, putting a name to it, that these are panic attacks. And she also helped me with different coping skills. We would meditate in her office, which felt kind of weird because I wasn't used to being very still and quiet and closing my eyes, you know, with a complete stranger. But it was great. I felt really safe with her. She also talked to me about, you know, recognizing things that are in my control versus things that are out of control. Because let's face it, there's lots of things in life that are going to be out of your control. But if we focus too much on that, we, we kind of are blind to what is in our control, you know? So things that are in my control are like what I wear every day, what uh, food I put in my body every day, you know, um, drinking water every day, those basic things um, that really um, sound so simple, but we kind of lose sight of. Did that help? Like did that new awareness and kind of reframing what's in your control and what's not in your control, did that help? Oh, absolutely. And it's continued to help. Also seeing too, like, well, because let's face it, you know, what might've worked for me 20 years ago in managing my anxiety may not work now, you know? So now just trying different things that could help. Back then, I had a lot of pent up anger, you know, so I started taking kickboxing lessons, which was amazing. And that really helped me get out all of that anxiety and that angst and anger and frustration and all of that stuff. You know, I was able to direct it at this awesome punching bag. And so that was something that worked well for me in the past. It doesn't work as well for me now. So I I do other things, you know, I go out and I enjoy nature or I read a book, you know, or, you know, different things like that. So just recognizing that, okay, this has worked for me in the past, but maybe I can try something new and try something different. I think that's so important that the tools that we learn that are helpful may really change over time as we change and our lives change. And even if kickboxing did still work for you, you don't always have access to kickboxing, right? You're in a, you're in a professional setting. You can't just start kickboxing. So what, what else is available? I've talked to students who even just having a song that they listen to can really help. Um, or 
walking outside for 10 minutes, even if it's, it's not a hike maybe, but it's just being outdoors can be really grounding. Have the frequency of your panic attacks decreased over the years? Oh my gosh, yes. Back then when they started, um, I was probably having them maybe three to four times a week. Now, maybe I have them once or twice a year. And it's usually when there is a perceived threat to my stability or to my security. Actually, now I find that when I'm feeling off balance, like if I'm putting too much attention into one thing, whether it's work or my kids or, you know, family stuff, then I start to notice that I'm feeling a little off balance. That kind of hints to me like, okay, take a step back, do some self-care, you know, reintegrate that self-care into your daily or weekly life. And then I, I can pretty much get back on track after that. But yeah, if there's like, you know, a threat to, to any of my security, whether there's money issues or something like that, that will usually cause my anxiety to spike. And then that's when I kind of take a moment and go back to that self-care piece. And so it sounds like the earlier you're aware of those threats that you're feeling, the more likely you are to be able to address them before it turns into a panic attack. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And every once in a while, something just kind of snowballs in the background and still still gets there. But, but like I'm thinking four times a week versus twice a year, like I'll take that, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there have even been like a couple of years where I'll go without a panic attack and then it, it'll happen. I'll be like, whoa, where did that come from? You know? And then if I look back, it's like, oh, okay. It's because I wasn't doing, you know, taking care of myself the way I should be. We are recording this episode from our homes uh, during the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. And so I'm hoping there's a time in our lives where uh, students might listen to this conversation and be like, what's that? What was that? Right. But for now, it's on everyone's mind and it's likely to be here uh, for at least a little while longer. And so I'm aware that there's just so much uncertainty and insecurity right now in just in everyone's lives, really. And I'm curious kind of how that's been for you, given your history of of anxiety and panic, like how you've been trying to navigate that during this crisis? Well, it's definitely an adjustment. I would imagine it would be an adjustment for a lot of people who suffer with anxiety and panic attacks because, you know, going back to those coping skills, you know, something that would really help me with self-care is like going to a bookstore and just walking around and picking up books and reading them. Well, I, I, I can't do that now. You know, everything is closed. So then I go to my bookshelf and I look at the 20 books that I've bought over the years and it's like, okay, well, this is kind of like my own little personal bookstore. So just, you know, trying to make that little bit of a shift, again, kind of looking around me and seeing, okay, what is in my control? I can't go to a bookstore, but I can look at my bookshelf and pick a book off of there. I can go online and order a book. <laughs> One of the things that I've done is I've been wanting to paint my back deck. You know, so I painted my back deck. I put up a couple of chairs. You know, I live kind of in the country a little bit. So whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed, I just step outside and I sit on my deck and look at the trees and listen to the birds and feel the breeze. And, and that's extremely relaxing for me. Not so important because the bigger questions that we're all 
up against right now, they're not resolved, right? Going out to your newly painted deck and listening to the birds doesn't solve the bigger questions of, of when this is going to end and how it's going to end and all of that. But it, it sounds like it just allows you to redirect your attention away from those big impossible questions to what's right there in front of you. And, and staying in the present. You know, because if I start worrying about, well, you know, when am I going to be um, going back into my office or when are the are my children going to be able to go back to school or, you know, what's it going to look like in a few months, then that's just that that's not going to help me, you know, but just grounding myself and being in the present moment and enjoying those little things for what they are, that that is really helpful. One of the things that I have spent a lot of time noticing in myself is if I give my mind a big problem to try to solve, like when is coronavirus going to be over, right? If I get like, when is life going to get back to normal? If I give my mind that kind of question, it will try to answer it. It will, you know, or if, if I give my mind these big survival level questions, my mind will keep me up all day and night thinking about that and trying to figure it out. And even though it's an, it's impossible, right? Like my, my mind isn't going to be able to figure that out. It was comforting to me when I went to school to become a counselor and started thinking more about psychology. That is a gift of evolution that my mind has the capacity to try to ensure my survival, right? It's got, it's looking out for me and it wants to deal with threats. So that that is part of what's allowed us to evolve and grow into the human beings that we are and the species that we are. And that can also be like our worst nightmare. If we're giving the mind, um, which is great at solving certain kinds of problems, these big, huge, existential, you know, <laughs> universal questions that just can't be known. And, and that's where for me, um, trying to use my mind as a tool rather than um, as a machine that's, that's constantly operating, like give it questions that it's capable of working on and then also learn how to help it stop working sometimes and just be present. So that's what that made me think of as you were sharing. Yeah. And those big existential questions, those are great, you know, to, to start um, to exercise your brain but I think, you know, with everything, it has to be in moderation. It's like we can't spend hours and hours and hours on that. You know, we need to give ourselves a little break and recognize that, well, you know, we might not come up with the answer today and we may never come up with that answer and that's okay. So I'm hearing that what started out as feeling really random when you were panicking, like, oh my gosh, I'm just being attacked by this random thing and it's terrible and scary and I don't know what to do, that over time you've really understood where that's coming from and recognize that it's actually not random. It's connected to your life. It's connected to your fears. It's connected to what's, what's going on. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And that as you've figured that out, you've also been able to take responsibility for working with that stuff, uh, identifying it sooner, when it happens, what you can do, 
and also being gentle with myself too, and not berating myself for having these, you know, panic attacks, because I think it's pretty common to be like, I'm going crazy. What's wrong with me? You know, that kind of thing. And um, what am I doing wrong to just recognizing it for what it is, you know, and saying it's okay, you know, and kind of being my own friend and saying it, it's okay that you're going through this. This is understandable and you're going to get through this. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was wanting to talk more about that. You are a mental health professional who has struggled with panic attacks, anxiety, still does occasionally have panic attacks, right? And and so I I was wondering what that journey has been like for you. Like, was there a time in your life where you did feel a lot of shame around like, oh, I can't believe I'm feeling this way or I'm going crazy or what's wrong with me or just wondering if there was a time where you were more judgmental towards yourself about going. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think um, early on, I was, I was much more judgmental. And then as I got into my graduate school program, part of grad school is that, you know, you share your own stuff. And I think that really helped, you know, to hear that, hey, I'm not alone in this. There are a lot of other people who experience things like this or just finding that support in one another was really helpful. You talked about finding a counselor that you felt safe with. Can you talk a little bit more about what you look for in a counselor to know if you're safe with them? Well, for me, it seems like I, I try to go on recommendations from other people. Like I find somebody who's kind of like me and then I say, okay, uh, what counselor are you seeing? Like if I know they're seeing a counselor, um, then I'll ask them, you know, who do you see, you know, for therapy? Because I think then that might be helpful for me to be able to connect with that therapist. And one thing I will say about finding a therapist is that you may have different therapists for different times in your life. Early on, that therapist was perfect for me. As I got older and I wanted to go a little deeper and I wanted to get a completely different point of view, I went to see a male therapist. You Just recognizing that different therapists are going to fit you at different times that's really helpful. The type of therapist that I like is is somebody who's a great listener, who is non-judgmental, which I think most therapists are. And then I kind of, you know, do a little research on their background and, you know, most people have websites now and so I'll just kind of like read up a little bit about them and there there's usually something in their website or their description that really speaks to me. And so I'll be like, okay, I'm going to give this one a try. That's helpful. I wonder if I could press you a little bit more and just get your take on what is so important about safety in therapy? Well, because you're really sharing some really personal, painful things. And I want to make sure that I can trust this other person to not only not say anything to anybody else, but to also be comfortable with what I'm sharing. If, if I'm sharing something that's really scary for me, I don't want it to scare the therapist. I want them to be able to handle it and to, to be able to comfort me and to be able to give me a different point of view. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. And I know when I have 
gone to a bunch of different therapists over the years myself that sometimes I find myself saying things to a therapist that I didn't even know I needed to say, or I didn't even know I was feeling or thinking that way until it's coming out for the first time in that really trusting, safe relationship. And so, yeah, having someone that's not going to freak out on me, or it, it can be, I mean, that's a very simple way of putting it, but just can really be there and hold space for whatever needs to come up can be so helpful. Have you ever had a panic attack, Olivia, with a therapist present or just at a time or place that was super inconvenient or embarrassing to have a panic attack? There was one time, it wasn't with a therapist. Um, It was when I was dating my now husband. I had a panic attack after we went to a party. And um, yeah, that was really embarrassing. <laughs> and he was he he was amazing. And that was probably one of the reasons why I married him, <laughs> because he knew he knew how to hold that space and he knew how to make me feel safe. Yeah. Um, and make me, still make me feel accepted. One of the things that that's, I'm, I'm smiling and laughing over here, I think that's so important. And I was thinking, if we think back to your crappy boyfriend from when you were, you know, <laughs> 22 years old and right, first started right. panicking, did that crappy boyfriend give you that safe space that your now husband does? I, I imagine he no, did not, right? No. <laughs> He turned around and ran out the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so uh, so uh, there was something else I wanted to follow up with you about that. So often when I've worked with students, so students tend to be younger, more like you when you started first having the panic attacks. I think that the initial response is to panic about the panic. Oh yeah, definitely. That was, that was what happened, you know, in the beginning was like, I started feeling it coming and then I would start to fight it. And that just made it worse. I mean, it just would explode if I tried to fight it. Um, Because boy, that panic attack was coming whether I wanted it to or not. And so just being able to, like I said, ride the wave and just kind of surrender to it and recognize that, okay, yeah, this is going to happen and that's okay. And I'll take care of myself afterwards. Um, that has really helped lower the intensity of the panic attack. I'm not a big beach person because I am a redhead and I just fry in the sun, but I, so I've never really been a great swimmer either, but I'm going to attempt to kind of equate it to being in the ocean. Cause you keep talking about riding the wave and how like you can get caught in the, is it the riptide or whatever, when it, with the undertow that just pulls you under and they say, the more you fight it, the more exhausted you get. But if you can just kind of go with it and then it'll pass, catch your breath and then start swimming back or catch a wave back to shore, that's supposedly that's supposed to work better. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, because with the panic, you know, just like with a wave, you can see it start to build, you know, back deep in the ocean. And eventually it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it gets to its height. And then it crashes down. Um, So if just being able to just kind of go along with it, otherwise you'll just kind of keep getting pushed back under, pushed back out to sea. But if you just kind of ride it into the shore, 
it's a much more smoother transition. Those really big waves started hitting you when you were 22 in the form of panic attacks. Do you think there were some things laid down in your childhood that maybe made you more susceptible to developing that panic at 22? Like, were things just easy up until that point and then all of a sudden you started having panic attacks? Um, I mean, I had a good childhood. Um, I have a very loving family. I know how blessed I am. There were, you know, some tragedies, um, like I said earlier, with death and illness and things like that, um, that, you know, obviously, you know, were, were very hard. Um, but I don't think it was anything out of the ordinary from any other childhood. Like you don't have a sense of yourself being like an extremely anxious child or that kind of thing. No, no. I was, I was pretty calm, cool, and collected as a kid. <laughs> Good in a crisis, as you said, right? Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. And so I yeah. think that that's, um, that's really important to notice that this really can come out of the blue, depending on like kind of a perfect storm forming around you at that point in your life. Um, anything else that you are thinking about that you want to share on this topic? Just that I think that these, the panic attacks are way more common than people think. And um, especially when you're going through it, you think that it's only happening to you. But just like with anything, the, you know, the more you talk about it, the more you recognize that other people are like, oh yeah, me too. That happens to me too. I appreciate you just validating that it's common. And I think that having you be a counselor who also sometimes still experiences this even makes it that much more normal that you can have all this training and experience and still sometimes have this happen. And that's okay. It's okay. Um, can, can you talk a little bit more about what you would want to tell your younger self? So now that you're at this point in your life and you've been able to navigate this better and learn to ride the waves, what you would tell 22-year-old Olivia at that awful time in her life? Things will get better. You're not crazy. You're not going to die. Be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking as you got that kind of support from your friend, who's now your best friend, and some therapists along the way, I wonder if it's been easier to be kind to yourself after having received that kind of kindness from other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like they, I know they, for me, they can show me, oh, that's what that sounds like to be kind to myself. Maybe I can start to try that out. Like be my own friend, be my own therapist from time to time. With practice, begin to internalize that other way of, of reacting. One more question for you. Like what, um, what made you want to go into this field? What made you want to become a counselor? Well, you know, when I was three, um, somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I mean, I'm three, you know, so I said I wanted to be a helper. And so I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that I wanted to help people. Along the way, I also enjoyed uh, writing. Um, so actually, my undergrad is in journalism. Then I had a minor in sociology. And when I got out of school and started 
finding different jobs and stuff, I finally um, began working with a psychiatrist, writing reports for him. He hired me because of my background in journalism. So I was like, okay. So I started working in his office with a, a licensed mental health counselor. I really enjoyed meeting the clients and, and talking to them and being a part of that journey with them. And so from there, I applied for grad school, you know, to be a mental health counselor and everything just kind of clicked after that. Just been such a rewarding experience being able to be present in so many people's lives at sometimes a very terrible time in their life and just being able to help them along the way. One of the things that I love about being a counselor is that is exactly how you just described it. And I, I feel like in our culture, there aren't a lot of natural opportunities to get to know people at those really terrible times. We tend to present a really different front on social media and how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. You know, it's, it's not. Um, and anyway, if I'm asking someone how they're doing as I'm passing them on the street, do I even really want the full answer half the time? Right. So, so we, <laughs> we being a counselor really does provide these openings to know people quite deeply in that in that time and i know for me that in and of itself has he helped me learn to be more accepting of my own challenges and struggles just to know that oh my gosh like everybody's going through something and and if they're not right now it's going to happen eventually and that i'm not alone in whatever it is i'm feeling right now yeah, everybody's got a story that we know nothing about. Well, thank you for telling us more about your story, Olivia. I really enjoyed the time with you. Thank you. You've been listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. For new episodes, show notes, and to leave feedback or suggestions, please visit counseling.ufl.edu slash CWC talks.